This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Ghanem. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we're in the midst of a fire uh, NATO right now here in Northern California for our listeners and viewers of Arab Talk. Jamal and I continue to broadcast from our remote locations in Northern California, but in addition to the pandemic, we are also confronting a massive and catastrophic fire uh, basically surrounding us in Northern California to the north, to the east, and to the south. So the air quality here in Northern California is really bad. And in, in addition to all the fire evacuations that are going on right now, we're in the midst of the ongoing pandemic. So it's a very difficult time. But we'll continue to broadcast uh, to our listeners and our viewers wherever they may be. We have a great show today, Jamal. We're going to be talking to Diana Butu about the, I don't know what else to call it, the so-called uh, Grand Peace Plan between the UAE, the Emirates, and uh, the government of Israel. And we'll be getting Diana's take on that. And then after that, there's a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about the DNC. We're going to b- talk about Steve Bannon. We're going to talk about the Sudan and possible you know, things going on diplomatically with the Israelis. And then uh, we should talk a little bit about Linda Sarsour, Jamal, because she's been under attack. So it's an action-packed show. That's right. We have uh, a lot to talk about. Uh, Let's start by uh, the interview with Diana Butoh. Uh, I spoke to her, she's in Palestine, and she's talking about the reaction, the aftermath of the uh, so-called Israel-UAE peace deal. Uh, that uh, or, or uh, uh, basically that they've started that process uh, now. So let's uh, listen to her. Israel and the United Arab Emirates last Thursday announced what they refer to a historic deal to normalize relations, the first such move between Israel and an Arab state in many years. The UAE media and government officials say that the Gulf Emirate acted to stave off Israel from annexing more territory in the West Bank, the core of a possible future Palestinian state. Is this really what happened? Joining us from Palestine to discuss this and more, Diana Buto, a Ramallah-based analyst and former legal advisor to Palestine Liberation Organization Chairman Mahmoud Abbas. Welcome again to Arab Talk, Diana. Thank you very much, Jamal. Thanks for having me. Is this a historic deal as it's been advertised? Is the United Arab Emirates helping the Palestinians as they claim by preventing a future annexation of a large of large areas of the West Bank? Well, let's be, let's deal with the second question first. Um, are they are they helping us? And the answer is no. In fact, uh, they are in fact hurting us. And I want to take you back a little bit um, in time, which is that you know, since the early 90s, since 1993, the position that the PLO has taken has been one of uh, bilateral negotiations. In other words, recognition and bilateral negotiations, despite the fact that we've seen that these negotiations have gone absolutely nowhere. And then in 2004, with the decision that came out from the International Court of Justice, it was the first time that we saw that there was a move towards pushing and holding Israel accountable. And of course, one year exactly after that decision uh, came out was when the BDS movement was formed. Now, it's taken 15 years 
to get the PLO PA on board with this boycott strategy. And we heard them announce in June of this year that they were actually pushing for uh, sanctions against Israel for the first time ever. And so instead of the UAE supporting us and helping us and trying um, to help whether you like civil society or don't, or whether you like the Palestinian Authority or don't, but it was united. Instead of them having um, a strategy in which they're supporting what Palestinians are saying we need, they instead turn around and have stabbed us in the back. And what they've done is they've um, not only normalized relations with Israel, but they've normalized relations with Israel in exchange for absolutely nothing. Um, In the past, one could potentially argue that Egypt entered the agreement because they wanted to get back Egyptian territory. One could, one can argue, can try, I wouldn't do well with it, uh, to argue that the Jordanians followed suit in 94 because of uh, the Oslo agreements and the promise of freedom. But here we have a promise of absolutely nothing. And instead we see that the UAE is actually rewarding Israel um, for continuing its colonization, for continuing the occupation rather than actually putting into place sanctions, and on top of that, harming us in the process. I can tell you that there will be a settlement announcement this week, Shema. They haven't stopped anything. Um, And immediately after this announcement was made, the the UAE spin machine isn't as good as the Israeli spin machine. Uh, Immediately after the UAE made this announcement, Netanyahu turned to the Israeli press and said, um, who who said that annexation is off the table? Absolutely, it's not off the table. Um, So in other words, the UAE has stopped absolutely nothing. Um, To get to your first question, is this historic? In a sense, yes, because we see that that although there had been this lead up in the past of having these relations that were under the table, we now get this sense in a very historic way that they don't even feel obliged to uh, do anything towards Palestinians, that they did it without even informing the Palestinian Authority leadership. And in that in that sense, it is historic and it's unprecedented. And it vindicates the Netanyahu position that the Palestinians mean nothing to the Arab world. Now, you've alluded to this because you're absolutely right. The Emiratis and their supporters in the media have been justifying uh, their move on precedence. They're saying, you know, if Egypt and Jordan can have normal relations with Israel, why not us? They're also saying if the Palestinian leadership has signed multiple agreements with Israel, why not us? Can you elaborate on this? I mean, why not? Well, because um, I think it's important to keep these things in their historical perspective. Egypt, in exchange for its agreement, again, whether you like it or not like it, there are facts. Uh, there was, there was, they retrieved back the territory that Israel shouldn't have been occupying in the first place. Um, and in the case of the Jordanians, the Jordanians really, their peace agreement came in large part to be able to facilitate Oslo and on the promise that somehow we were going to get a state. Um, but in, and then when it comes to the Palestinian Authority, look, I, you know, we, can, we can disagree and we, we, uh, you, you know my position that I don't support 
the Oslo Accords, but we're people who are living under Israeli military rule. The UAE is not living under Israeli military rule. And so the fact that they are using these as precedents, and they're very weak precedents, um, to do what is otherwise a deal that is that is unprecedented. I mean, you there as the world is now moving towards holding these human rights abusers accountable, we have a country that's doing the exact opposite, that's actually rewarding them. That's the part that is so disturbing in all of this. And and that part is not precedented. Um, and, and it leaves me questioning what it is that the UAE gets out of it. I know what the US gets out of it, which is Trump can say that his diplomacy has worked, even though we've seen his diplomacy fail when it came to North Korea, when it's come to China, and when it's come to Iran. And Netanyahu is facing a corruption trial, who's facing massive protests in the streets, and potentially a fourth election, um, can now turn around and say, see, I got a peace agreement without having to give up anything. What it's, what's in it for the UAE still remains to be seen, other than security deals and arms deals, which were already happening under the table. Now, uh, Bahrain and Oman could be the next Gulf countries to follow the United Arab Emirates uh, formalizing ties with Israel. This is according to Israel's intelligence minister. This is what he said. In fact, the Israeli press has been floating five or more Arab countries that could be next. Bahrain, Oman, Qatar, Morocco, Sudan, and others. Is this wishful thinking on their part, or is it uh, the end of, like you've mentioned, the behind doors or secret meetings, and Arabs are just going to line up uh, to shake the hand of, of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu? Uh, I don't think it's wishful thinking. I think we are going to see a lot of this happen. Look, I think as we're coming close to the end of the this the first four years of uh, Trump, and we don't know what's going to happen in November, this is where I think that we're going to see a great deal of pressure brought to bear by the Trump administration on these regimes, uh, on these governments to start start working with Israel, to recognize Israel, and to collaborate with Israel. Um, so I don't at all think it's wishful thinking. I think the the bigger picture and the bigger question is, what is it that the PLO, the Palestinian Authority, is going to do about it? And, you know, Jamal, we, these signs were in the making, this wasn't just a month or two, These were this was years of this style of cooperation, everything from Miri Regev um, showing up in Abu Dhabi to uh, having competitions in which Israelis were invited, to having other Israeli leaders in Abu Dhabi, to having flights, um, to being able to sell weapons from Israel to the Emirates, um, you all recall that the Mossad had was in Dubai and did some assassinations back then. This is not the, this isn't the first time that we see this level of cooperation. It didn't just happen overnight, and yet all throughout these years, the Palestinian Authority has had zero strategy when it comes to um, changing gears and potentially shifting gears to move towards something other than the bilateral negotiations, something other than hoping that a new U.S. president is somehow going to change the equation. And when Trump came into office, the, the, the Palestinian leadership was told this is not going to be the same president like every other president. He's going to go around you and you have to think of ways that you're going to stop that. I mean, uh, I mean, you, you, you pretty much said it right. I mean, they've had all the writing on the walls, right? 
So what's next for the Palestinian leadership? They seem to be paralyzed. What, what you're describing, I mean, they have, they've had all these uh, signs and warnings and they have done nothing. And then they just wait. All, all that I see is condemnation, be it annexation, the settlers, uh, the, uh, you know, the killings of, uh, or the assassination of uh, Palestinian children, just condemnation after condemnation, no action has been taken. Um, I wish it even amounted to that, Jamal. I think that uh, oftentimes we don't even hear the condemnations and we just, it becomes so commonplace. You know, the 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 sad part for me is that um, it feels as though time has stood still uh, for this leadership. It's the same tactics that were used in the late 90s that are continuing to be used today in 2020. And although it's the same tactics, um, although it's different tactic, it's the same strategy. They haven't rethought the strategy. And you're right, they're left paralyzed. You know, I, I think it's important to keep in mind, we're talking about between 100,000 to 350,000 Palestinians who are living in the United Arab Emirates. And um, these are people who send home money, remittance money. They send money to support Palestinian organizations. Um, and there is a fear that they don't want to have another Kuwait exile, as we saw 30 years ago uh, with the Iraqi, with Iraq and Kuwait, what happened in Kuwait. Um, and so there's, so there's a fear, which is why their condemnation hasn't even really been a condemnation. It's been a um, we support the, the people of the UAE and we disagree with this policy statement more than anything else. But what they should be seeing is that the writing is on the wall. And you're right, Bahrain, Oman, others are definitely lining up and they still don't have an alternative strategy. They're still talking about the Palestinian Authority as though this is the year 1995. Um, they're still dealing with bilateral negotiations and calling for bilateral negotiations as though it was 1994 or 95. And, uh, and so this remains um, a huge problem that unless there is a different vision, and I'm hoping that there is a different vision, we are really going to be facing a situation in which, um, and this is what the right wing wants in Israel, is that we're just turned into just another minority like other minorities in the, in the Middle East without any um, without any concern or without any like touch or or even recognition that we are living under colonial rule I mean what about the people uh, are they tired uh, they're just like overwhelmed with what's happening especially now they're suffering from the spread of the coronavirus uh, poor economy high unemployment and of course, the occupation itself, uh, you know, people in the past kept saying, well, there might be a third intifada or people. And then, of course, this didn't happen. You've had so are they just like like I feel almost they are kind of getting they are, that they are numb. Really, they are numb and they just keep getting disappointed one disappointment after the other one setback after the other. And are they just like, you know throwing the towel on this? 
Um, no, you could. I don't think you'll ever see Palestinians throw in the towel. You, you know, you've seen you've seen um, us and our strength and resilience, and it's it's something that we shouldn't have to be resilient. We shouldn't have to be strong. It's the it's the um, the fact that we've been pushed into this uh, into this into the situation by the Israelis where we have to survive and, and people um, are definitely going to do anything that they need to do to survive. But that being said, you know, this has been um, not just a year, it's been decades of massive disappointment. When I think back, just even to my time, uh, my time in Palestine, I arrived uh, on the promise that we were going to see freedom. Um, for me, it was you know, within a year, and and here it is. We're we're nowhere even closer to any notion of, of freedom. Um, we've been fed the lie that the that the Arab League and the Arab world is going to stand by us, and we see that that's crumbled as well. And then now, add to this everything that's happening with the pandemic. The pandemic is is we've got the double um, oppression of a pandemic plus the Israelis uh, who are not only controlling the healthcare system, but controlling the economy. So as countries around the world are talking about packages that are you know, compensation packages and um, uh, assistance packages, we in Palestine, there is no such thing because we've just never been able to have anything other than um, be living off of either the the support of the international donor community or waiting for our money to be transferred to us by the by the Israelis, and so here we have now um, we've got skyrocketed unemployment. The Israelis are are no longer um, allowing. It's it's not even a question of of uh, laborers or Palestinian work any longer. They've completely replaced Palestinian work, and you see now that they're doing everything in their power um, to bring us to our knees, so that we then turn around and say, "Yes, living under occupation is better than living under the Palestinian Authority." And sadly, the policies of the Palestinian Authority have also largely contributed to this. When you see, when you're a young person who's under, you know, let's say under 30, your entire life, your entire memory has been living under um, a combination of Israeli military rule, of checkpoints that were established under peace, under a peace agreement, a supposed peace agreement, um, path to peace agreement, excuse me. Um, you've, you've had to live under permits. All you've ever lived under is military occupation with zero prospects that that is ever going to change. And then add to this now um, the decision by the UAE to support your oppressor, to support your occupier, and you can see how everybody feels betrayed. And the, the fact that um, the UAE is also claiming that this is on our behalf is, is really one of the sickest uh, propaganda messages that I've ever heard in my life. Now, you've talked about, uh, like, what's in it for the UAE earlier. And we, we you know, we know, uh, uh, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu is a winner in, in, in this deal. We yes. know that Donald Trump is a winner in this deal. We know that the Palestinians are losers, really, in, in, in this deal. 
Uh, we don't know about the UAE except uh, doing more business, buying more weapons uh, from the United States, uh, uh, you know, uh, getting uh, protection against Iran and, and other things. But uh, when it comes to the Palestinian Authority, uh, who's the loser there? Uh, I've, I've, I've read some rumors that, uh, and I'm just attributing this to rumors on Israeli media, basically, that uh, Mohammed Dahlan was on the Etihad Airways cargo plane that came to Tel Aviv in June and met with Netanyahu. So, and then there are kind of uh, um, plans to replace uh, Abbas with Dahlan. Uh, are you buying such a, such rumors? No. Um, you know, I think if you step back and you analyze, especially what the UAE had to gain from all of this, the UAE didn't need to go down this path at all. It had everything that it wanted um, without doing the on-the-face on the recognition. And when they do the, the on-the-table recognition, um, there isn't a Palestinian who's going to come out and say, I support this. And, and, even, and the person who, the Palestinian who does come out and say that he or she uh, or they support this is going to be the person who's going to have um, the lowest uh, amount of popularity and support. And so if the attempt was to somehow replace the uh, Mahmoud Abbas leadership with a Dahlan leadership, this is definitely not the way to do it. This isn't going to buy him any favor or win him any votes or get any or persuade people. It's quite the opposite. It, um, it looks exactly as though he's the person who is weak and that even he was a, unable with his close ties, unable to stop the UAE from going down uh, this path. A lot of that propaganda that tends to come out is propaganda that is designed to deflect from the mistakes that the PA has made. And they've made some very serious mistakes. Um, for years, we've been seeing that, that the Israelis have opened up a path with a lot of these Arab states. And for years, the Mahmoud Abbas and, and the Palestinian Authority were warned that this was going to be a different administration than in previous years. And they continue to pursue the same policies and the same strategy. So tomorrow, if, um, for example, Bahrain signs a, an agreement with, with Israel, um, there's no way that we can turn around and say that this was something that was done by, by Dahlan or the influence of Dahlan because he doesn't have any influence in Bahrain. But what we can say is that it's the failure of the Palestinian Authority to really be pushing um, for a different strategy and to push back against this massive uh, tsunami that the, that the Trump administration has brought upon us. And one thing um, that I think is also um, important to keep in mind in all of this is that we're now at a point, I feel like we've come um, very much full circle where the world, everybody else is, is speaking on our behalf. We have the UAE saying that they're doing this at our, on our behalf. We have the Trump plan that says that they're doing things on our behalf. Um, the Israelis come forward and say, this is, this is better for you. It's on your behalf. 
And we fought so much. I mean, people lost their lives just to be able to have our own voice and have our own say. And here we are now, rather than taking that voice and having that say, instead we are hiding and, and somehow saying that it's, um, it's something other than it really is, which is, it's, it's poor leadership. It's poor leadership. The only thing that has been working for the past few years is really uh, BDS, the boycott, uh, divestment and sanctions on, on Israel. I mean, we've yeah. seen this, uh, people who are living at least in the diaspora, we've kind of witnessed the pressure within the U.S. Congress to, uh, you know, attack BDS and so forth. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu called it an existential threat. Uh, to, to the state of Israel, and now we see this normalization. Uh, is this going to hurt BDS, or are people going to differentiate between government actions? Like, like I was thinking, okay, well, uh, the UAE can normalize, but the people don't have to normalize. This is going to be the big test now, uh, Shaman. Look, I think in terms of BDS, it's not, it's a, anything that where Israel is, where people are normalizing with Israel is, obviously, it's a setback. But it's not a setback in the sense that, uh, as we might have, see countries like UAE normalizing, we see more and more people who are saying this is absolutely absurd, and we instead should be boycotting. Um, and that being said, I think that a lot of the focus that the BDS movement has had um, over the years has been to really uh, revitalize and make sure that there are active BDS campaigns throughout the Arab world. For example, I know there's a very strong one that's in Kuwait. There's others that are in Qatar. There's, there's active BDS movements, and they need to obviously become much more active. For me, the test is going to be um, whether we see Emiratis here coming to, coming to visit. Um, you know, I, well, the I was, Israeli president today, Revlin, invited the emir to come and visit Jerusalem. Yes. And, and beyond that, I'm more concerned with, with the non-governmental officials uh, coming to visit. I mean, I've, se- I've been seeing these and watching in horror on social media as many Emiratis are coming forward and saying that um, they're going to come in and finally pray in Al-Aqsa, of course, putting a picture of the Dome of the Rock, but let's leave that as a different uh, issue altogether. Um, and, and there has been this push against to have uh, normalization in the in the sphere of uh, of religion. So the real question for me is going to be whether um, whether Emiratis, not people who are affiliated with the government, whether they respect and I hope they do respect the boycott call um, and and that they don't go down the path of in any way normalizing with Israel. I want to thank you, uh, Diana, again for coming on Arab Talk, uh, and really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you very much, Shaman. I appreciate it. Well, that was the uh, voice of uh, Diana Butu, uh, actually a former spokesperson uh, for the Palestinian Authority many years ago. And now... Palestine uh, Liberation uh, Organization, actually. Yeah. You know, she gives a very cogent, not very optimistic analysis about this peace deal, Jamal, so-called well, peace deal. Well, I don't think there is any optimism anywhere. Uh, we saw the reaction from Palestinians, whether official reactions or from the public, and also a lot of decry 
from the Palestinian diaspora and, and Arabs uh, across the world. Now, having said that, uh, as you've listened uh, to Diana, she said that this is not this is just the beginning. She has a lot of concerns, a lot of worry. And since uh, you know the uh, the Israelis, they have been teasing the idea that uh, sometimes they'll say Bahrain is going to be next or Oman is going to be next. Uh, and recently, they've been saying that Saudi Arabia is going to be next. And uh, now we know. Uh, uh, for example, that Sudan, uh, Sudan uh, foreign ministry spokesperson Haider Bedawi Sadiq told Sky News that when it, Sky News Arabia, so that's in Arabic, uh, on Tuesday that Sudan, and I'm quoting, aspires towards a peace agreement with Israel, a relationship of equals built upon Khartoum's interests. There is no reason. For the enmity to continue, he said, we don't deny the communication between the two countries. So they're saying basically they've been talking for a while. And this this is what happened with the UAE. Everybody knew that um, the UAE has been talking to Israelis. They've had exchanges. And a, 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 a UAE airliner went to Tel Aviv. They've been meeting in, in Dubai. They've been meeting in London, everywhere. So it's not something new. But here is what's uh, new now. We're getting these tidbits about the background. You know, all of a sudden, recently, we've been seeing that, uh, well, guess what? The UAE-Israel ties may get Abu Dhabi advanced weapons from the United States. Yes. That's the headline. So as you know, the UAE said or issued a very disingenuous statement that they're doing it for the interest of the Palestinians because they want to stop Netanyahu from annexing more, you know, uh, West Bank land. I mean, in fact, they are saving Netanyahu because we know his annexation plan has failed. So they're bailing him out. And this was totally disingenuous. Instead of like saying, like, what's Sudan? Okay, we're going to talk whatever, we have common interests, I don't know what. But now we're finding out that Israel's, you know, they, want, they hope that Israel will facilitate more advanced weapons from the United States or will not object. We're but, not, but Israel has objected to this, Jamal. Israel has objected. And not only this, Israel, uh, Netanyahu said, well, we're just putting the annexation on hold. It's not off the table. It's just like we're delaying it. Well, in so fact, that, Jared Kushner said the same thing, Jamal. Jared Kushner so, said this week that they were going to suspend, we don't know for how long, the annexation. So as a rule, you, you know, uh, Israel always opposes the sale of any advanced weapon, uh, be it this time, by the way, the F-35s and other advanced weapon to any country, not that just the UAE, any country in the Middle East to maintain what it calls its qualitative military edge. And this, by the way, includes countries that signed peace agreements with Israel, like Egypt and Jordan. So even, even when Egypt requests to have uh, parity with Israel, to have the same F-35s, even if they get the same F-35s, they are a, a generation or two, or they don't right. get all the avionics right. or all the electronics and whatever, they, don't, they never, ever get the same level of weapons. So... So this, this has been the standard. And then supposedly, Trump has promised, and of course, we know where Trump's promises go to. Uh, he promised the UAE, along with other pressures, putting the pressure on the emir, 
there and saying, you got to move ahead. You got to, you know, because he wants, you know, to go to the convention, which is next week and say, people are going to ask him, what happened to the deal of the century? And they say, oh, we have, we started the deal of the century. Look what happened between the UAE and uh, Israel. And he's been flaunting the idea of Saudi Arabia is next. Even when Saudi Arabia issued a statement saying, denying that they will be next, he said, right. no, no, no. I believe that Saudi Arabia is ready to, to go through. So we know this whole game. Anyway, this was a great interview uh, with Diana Bhutto. She spoke about, of course, how it affected there and how the Palestinians, uh, to put it bluntly, feel uh, stabbed in the back. Well, yet again, Jamal, we have the Palestinians being thrown under the bus by uh, monarchs and rulers in the Middle East and Arab world who have no interest in justice or bringing any kind of true um, peace to Palestine. This is a really tragic and sad uh, deal that was struck between the UAE and the Israelis. Tom Cotton, one of the senators, U.S. senators, said this is a great deal because, and I'm quoting Tom, paraphrasing, almost quoting Tom Cotton, saying this is a great deal because it'll mean more arms sales. So militarizing even further already heavily militarized uh, Arab world and Middle East is, you know, arguably not the best thing in the world. And the Middle East does not need anything but weapons. They just don't weapons, need, they don't right? Need, uh, to to agriculture, they don't need water. They don't nothing. Need, uh, just to more weapons. You know the environment. Uh, just the. It's all about the the weaponry, uh, the weaponry, and the military-industrial complex. Really putting so, some money. And it was there. it was as usual, Jamal. It was great to hear Jared Kushner touting what a great agreement this was between the UAE and the Israelis, and saying. When asked about Saudi Arabia and the rest of the Arab countries, he said, it's difficult to turn a battleship around. Um, you know, nothing really good is going to come out of this in terms of what's happening on the ground, either for Palestinians or for Arabs and people of the Middle East. Really, this is part of the larger thing that we've been talking about is this proxy war between countries that are aligned with the United States and the Israelis and countries that are not aligned with them and who may be more supportive of Iran. And the United States had a major diplomatic blow this week when the United Nations Security Council failed to ratify the ongoing sanctions against um, uh, military aid to the Iranians. So, you know, Donald Trump and his administration, Jamal, they keep failing on all these diplomatic fronts, whether it be Palestine, whether it be the United Nations, whether it be Iran. It's really... And I hate to say this, Jamal, but the next five months could bring, especially as Donald Trump feels more boxed into a corner, could bring more catastrophic diplomatic failures that could cause great harm, not just to Palestine, but to the people of the entire world. Well, talking about Donald Trump, we'll see what will happen next week. We will be watching closely the Republicans' uh, convention, but apparently... Donald Trump was watching the DNC, especially yesterday, and especially yes. when uh, former President Barack Obama offered some of his uh, uh, pointed, I would say, criticism of uh, Trump and his administration. And From Philadelphia. From Philadelphia, was, by the way, yeah. I was watching this and I saw uh, 
President Trump immediately tweeting in all in caps, screaming at you, you know. He spied on my campaign and got caught. That, that was, like he, he had no answer, basically, to Obama's base, uh, you know, argument about him. And of course, we know that Trump's claim about the spying is not accurate. Uh, the, about the FBI during his time in office that, uh, you know, that they spied on him. We, you know, this was debunked, but he keeps going to this. And I thought, and I don't know how you feel, but uh, whether you agree with Barack Obama or you don't, don't, but uh, he really, uh, you know, well, it I don't was know a if take- I can say what I wanted to say. But, no, but he uh, took him. To, it was he, a takedown. It was a he, big takedown. He, he ripped him a new one. Yeah, he did. I mean, Barack Obama, as well as Moshe, Michelle Obama, did in the most elegant way you could of a sitting president completely dismantle anything that uh, any argument one could make, let alone, you know, Donald Trump or the Republicans could make for reelecting Donald Trump. I mean, basically, it was, you know, I know what you wanted to say in terms of ripping him a new one, but it was a complete intellectual takedown of Donald Trump and his administration. Of course, it was lost on nobody and, you know, that he gave this talk from, you know, Philadelphia, the birth of the you know, the, 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 the Declaration of the Independence and the Constitution. So many people made the argument that we're in, you know, this is like a constitutional crisis if Donald Trump were to be uh, elected again. Um, not a good week for Donald Trump, Jamal. A court today um, basically ruled that he could no longer keep his tax returns um, withheld from the Manhattan district attorney. So those are going to have to be released. They've exhausted all appeals unless they decide to go to the Supreme Court, which is unlikely. And Donald Trump's advisor, Jamal, we we have to talk about this. Steve Bannon is going to get indicted and uh, arrested for fraud. This is basically, oh, we forgot the the Senate the Senate completed its report on Russian interference and basically concluded and supported almost everything that the Mueller report did. So basically, Jamal, this has not been a great week for Donald Trump. Not, not has not. But, um, you know, just a, a reminder about Steve Bannon. I hope everyone remembers who is Steve ba- Bannon and his role in, in getting Donald Trump elected. But guess what? I just watched just a few minutes ago or maybe about an hour ago press conference with uh, the president who, as usual, oh, I knew him very little. You know, he always <laughs> like, what's that? I mean, the guy helped you, helped your entire journey to the White House. Oh, he right. only worked here for a little bit. I didn't like what they were doing immediately, like immediately. Threw him under him the bus. Un- threw him under the bus totally, like, like, he, like, like he's a casual uh, acquaintance of him. I mean, like, you know, right. Donald Trump always cha- challenges the American, basically, memory. Like, he thinks that everyone just will forget 
everything and anything about him within days, if not minutes. Well, no one's going to forget about this, Jamal. The the report from the Senate committee investigating Russian interference uh, completely condemned, uh, you know, Paul Manafort and his relationship with Kalemnik, a Russian uh, intelligent operative, Steve Bannon. This is a huge indictment against Steve Bannon. Most likely will have to do some prison time. Um, you know, so who's going to pay for the wall, uh, Jess? Well, it looks like uh, private donations are going to pay for the wall you know, yet again, Jamal. It was Mexico, but this is, listen to this. I was like reading about the indictment, you know. So Steve Bannon, along with uh, three other uh, accomplices. Accomplices. They, they've had this, uh, they have schemed. They've had a scheme. They've had two nonprofit organizations, one transferring money to the other to kind of cover the trail of the money. Supposedly to raise millions of dollars, they had a goal, $30 million, to help build part of the Trump's wall, which he promised that Mexico was going to pay for it. And Steve Bannon said, no, 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 we'll have the American people, not taxpayers' money. We will reach, uh, reach out to donors and so forth. So they've been collecting money. Uh, to to donate it eventually uh, for the effort of building that wall. Uh, I think they, 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 their goal was $25 million, not $30 million. So therefore, of course, I was looking at, the, at their indictment. They have been using hundreds of thousands of dollars, close to a million dollars, uh, on themselves. Uh, you know, uh, they, 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 were, they were basically transferring... One uh, the the donations to another uh, non through another nonprofit under their control, using one million dollars of the donation secretly to pay f- uh, for one of the uh, accomplices, Colfage, Fa- Cole his name, uh, to cover hundreds of thousands of dollars of Bannon's personal expenses, and uh, according to the charges, this other accomplice, Colfage spent more than $350,000 of the donations on personal expenses. Guess what? <laughs> including cosmetic surgery. Wow. Including cosmetic surgery. Okay. A luxury SUV. Of course. A golf cart. Yes. Payments towards a boat he purchased. His own personal home re- renovations. Jewelry for himself or his wife or his girlfriend. I don't know who else. And paid his personal tax payments from it. This doesn't and, sound. And paid off some credit card debt. This doesn't sound like the wall to me, Jamal. This doesn't sound like the money was going to build the great wall of Trump. It sounds like, yet again, with the Trump administration, it's one big shell game of money going from one place, uh, one place to the other, and not to where it was intended. I think one of the things that we're going to see, Jamal, um, you know, as we get closer to the election in November, more of these illegalities are going to be coming out. We have the district attorney uh, in New York um, 
who is getting ready to file some big charges that we, you know, we can only speculate what it's going to be about, but he's now going to have access to Donald Trump's well, tax that's, returns. That's, that's why Donald Trump moved his legal address to Florida. So we yeah, know that's, that's right. In preparation and and of course, Donald Trump uh, decided that he would vote by mail, despite <laughs> condemning everybody else uh, who wanted to maybe vote against him, you know, to vote by mail. So only if you voted, only if you're a Republican, are you allowed to vote by mail. I, so these are just quickly the charges for yeah. These what folks. are the charges, it's, it's, Jamal? Uh, and and their names, uh, Brian uh, Colfage, right, is uh, one, and of course Bannon, and then the two other defendants, Andrew Badalota and Timothy Shi. Okay, uh, they're all charged with one kind of conspiracy to commit wire fraud and one kind of conspiracy to commit mon- money laundering. So that's okay. that's that's where they're going. That's why, by the way, Bannon was arrested on his boat. I don't know how did how he paid for that boat. So hopefully it's not also from the money, you know. But that's right. that's how he got uh, arrested. Busted. Okay. So Trump, just quickly. Well, I'm just quoting again. I feel very badly. I haven't been dealing with him for a long period of time. He, he was involved in our campaign and for a small part of the administration very early on. That's the official statement well, from Donald Trump. People, people who know will say that the intellectual brains behind getting Donald Trump, re- not re-elected, pardon the Freudian slip, getting Donald Trump elected with the Southern strategy, the white grievance strategy came directly from Steve Bannon himself. Well, I don't know how I don't know if he's going to be able to direct the Trump uh, re-election bid from prison, Jamal. But it sounds like Steve Bannon is is probably in for a world of hurt. Paul Manafort, this report from the Senate was very very damning, and um, General Flynn looks like he's going to not get his uh, charges thrown out after all. So it looks and, like oh, and Co- and Cohen, his personal attorney, he is uh, briefly out of. Uh jail because of the COVID and he has a book. I haven't been able to look at the book yet, but I'm sure there's a lot of things that we could talk about well, in that book. Maybe this is a good time to talk about, um, um, I, I, you know, Barack Obama's speech was great. Michelle Obama's speech was great. You know, a lot of the speeches were very good, Jamal. But I am concerned that people are not taking seriously. I say this every week. I'm going to keep saying it. People are really underestimating the power of this person, Donald Trump, and the white grievance kind of movement in this country um, to win this election again. So, well, you know, that's why that's why Biden needs every single vote, especially in uh, you know. In swing states like your home state of uh, Michigan. Michigan, yeah, and 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 that's why maybe I should talk. We should talk briefly about what happened to Linda Sarsour, and that's yes, we going should. to alienate Arab Americans and Even Muslim more. Americans in this country, right? And they're very much needed in these swing states, uh, Michigan, Florida, and others. So the Joe Biden's campaign, we haven't heard from Joe Biden himself, but the Joe Biden's campaign has disavowed. Uh, Palestinian-American activist Linda Sarsour, after she appeared at the Muslim Delegates and Allies Assembly side event to the Democratic National Convention. 
So on Tuesday, the Biden campaign attacked Sarsour over because, you know, people questioned that. Of course, we know who are those people who have been attacking her for a long time and attacked Sarsour uh, over her support for the BDS movement. Right. That's right. The BDS. We've been talking about it. And so immediately uh, the spokesperson for the uh, one of the spokes, I don't know if he's the main spokesperson. Campa- you know, he's a campaign spokesperson. Andrew Bates, his name, right, right. Uh, told CNN, Joe Biden has been a strong supporter of Israel and a vehement opponent of anti, uh, anti-Semitism his entire life. And he obviously condemns her views and opposes BDS, as does the Democratic platform. She has no role in the Biden campaign whatsoever. I mean, okay. look, at your at if, your peril, at your peril, Joe Biden, and they're they're making the same mistake that they did in 2016, Jamal. They're going to alienate progressive forces. They they've already began to they they did some alienation with AOC, the kind of uh, the kind of negative attacks on AOC by Democrats after she gave her 60 minute speech at the yes, DNC. Yes, she was following protocol. Convention protocol nominating exactly who? Bernie Sanders. That's right. who she was. This is a protocol. She did. It. She doesn't have to say anything about uh, Biden. Right. But my point is that the Democrats, and we know who's behind it. It's really the J Street, APAC light pro-Israel supporters who are coming out and trying to marginalize and trying to criticize and keep out of the equation progressive elements within the Democratic Party. And look at who it is, Jamal. It's women of color. So alienating women of color in the 2020 campaign, I don't think that's such a great idea. Well, well, they're putting the facade of women of color because they have many of them presenting and talking and whatever they were women of of color. But they are alienating a segment like of those who oppose that uh, democratic establishment guidelines. At, I say at your peril, Joe Biden. And, at and your, this is here's a funny thing. Peril. I'm just tell you, uh, yesterday on Wednesday, the DNC aired a video titled "America Rising: Women's Suffrage to Women's March," featuring footage of the movement that Linda Sarsour co-founded. Yes, she was. She was part of the movement. Not and only she tweeted. She tweeted in response, and I'm quoting from her Twitter account, when the DNC uses footage of my labor at the Women's March to make themselves seem relevant while throwing my communities under the bus, you can't make this up. By the way, I've invited Linda Sarsour to come on the show. We haven't heard back from her. We also reached out to CARE, who issued a statement denouncing uh, Biden's campaign. I haven't heard back, so hopefully... Uh, she can come uh, on this show next week yeah. and clarify her position. Well, let, let, it's just so ironic because at the Women's March after the Trump uh, inauguration, Linda Sarsour was one of the three uh, co-chairs of that uh, Women's March. She not only co-chaired it, but as as she rightly pointed out, was uh, you know one of the driving forces behind it. I'm sorry to sound repetitive, Jamal, but it sounds like the Democrats yet again could be shooting themselves in the foot and the blind support for apartheid Israel policies are going to 
potentially cause grave damage to progressive forces within the Democratic Party yet again, Jamal. So um, I don't don't think they're going to wake up to see how potentially damaging this is. Criticizing AOC, criticizing Linda Sarsour, criticizing people who, you know, on the Democratic platform believe that there should be a more just representation for Palestine in the BDS movement. Uh, It's not a great strategy, guys. No, it's not. And uh, I've already heard back from people I've been monitoring, you know, on on my Facebook page and on on Twitter. Some of the comments, a lot of Arab Americans, Muslim Americans have been putting down like, oh, I'm not voting. And uh, we've discussed We've discussed this before and we've had James Ogby on the show and he said he's against that. Sometimes you have to hold your nose and vote, but people are not buying this. And instead of mitigating this, instead of just remaining silent, the campaign has to kind of like stab them again right. in the back so, and, so- and show, the, show them, basically tell, tells them that your votes don't count. And as I've mentioned, Biden, if he needs to win... It's the he same needs every game. vote. It's going to be, he needs the votes in these swing states. Arab Americans, Muslim Americans live in these swing states. I haven't, for example, seen him uh, uh, inviting uh, our congresswoman, uh, Ilhan Omar or Rashida Tlaib. I mean, wouldn't you want to show the diversity? Because we talk about diversity. Wouldn't he? You know, I'm, I'm waiting. There is, so I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not so- going to pass judgment. It's uh, the last days today, probably. No, uh, Jamal, I have have breaking news. They're not going to be a a message to all the different communities because they're trying to to send a message of diversity, African-Americans, the Latinx uh, community and and LGBTQ and so forth. Wouldn't you want to send a message to the Muslim community in the United States that you, you have a, a big enough tent to include them under it. No, because this is this is the fake liberal policies of the Democrats. This is what has gotten them in problem, you know, in trouble in the past. It's going to get them in trouble in the future. And um, I don't think that they're going to be wise enough to bring uh, Congresswoman Omar or Congresswoman Tlaib, you know, to speak even for five seconds. During the DNC, because um, the di- just even a short photo up. Uh, I don't think uh, it's going to happen. That <laughs> Jamal, the DNC has been hijacked by liberal Zionist forces. And by the have- way, uh, to be accurate, in in the um, um, you know the B-roll uh, uh, that they showed before uh, um, uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi spoke, they had a bunch of pictures with her, mostly women, because her focus is on women. And then they showed the, the Time magazine cover with her uh, posing with the squad. That's the only picture that I actually, just for a split of a second, there was that glance of them there. Okay, I don't call that showcasing, you know. I just want to be accurate. Okay, you could be accurate, but it's, it, it's, not, it's not going far enough by, by far. Well, it looks like we've come to another close of Arab Talk. Uh, Jamal, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, we're 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 sending our concerns and and deep worry to our community here in Northern California because the fires continue to rage out of control. We have rolling blackouts here 
in Northern California, all of California, not just Northern California. And the next 24 to 48 hours are going to be very difficult. So we send our prayers and our worries and our concerns to all of our communities here in California and uh, be careful. We didn't even get a chance to talk about the coronavirus. I'll just say one thing really quick, Jamal, uh, to Governor uh, DeSantis in Florida, who opened up all those schools, and Governor Kemp, who opened up all those schools, we're seeing massive school closures now for those schools that opened up. Uh, universities are now closing to on-site uh, education and going fully you know, online. So the rush to open schools, it looks like, Jamal, has been a complete uh, failure. So we'll, we'll know more in a couple of weeks. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco 89.5 FM. We also welcome our viewers on Facebook and on YouTube. We will talk to you next week. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download or watch or listen the latest podcasts. We'll see you next week.